0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we'll talk about Ireland and war and peace. We are very privileged to welcome Bari Sweeney, who is a member of the Coordinating Committee of World Beyond War, of which I'm the director. Bari is based in Ireland, but is often in Vietnam, as he is at the moment, and in Italy. His background is in education and environmentalism. He taught as a primary school teacher in Ireland for a number of years before... Moving to Italy in 2009 to teach English, his love for environmental understanding led him to many progressive projects in Ireland, Italy, and Sweden. He became more and more involved in environmentalism in Ireland and has now been teaching on a permaculture design certificate course for five years. More recent work has seen him teaching on World Beyond Wars war abolition course for the last two years also in 2017 and 2018 he's organized peace symposia in ireland bringing together many of the peace anti-war groups in ireland barry is currently living in vietnam although he still continues his role of country coordinator for world beyond war in ireland barry sweeney welcome to talk nation radio
1: Thank very much David am pleasure to be here and honored to be uh, interviewed
0: uh, thanks very much for coming on I don't know if we can cover the whole history of Ireland and war and peace but we're gonna try um and and of nonviolent tactics uh, boycotting uh, is something that comes from Ireland right
1: sure please, David I um, am that's a funny one you know Irish. Ireland and the Irish people. We would have that sort of stereotype, stereotype of being, you know, the fighting Irish um, and all that. And yet, we, we do have some uh, very important, non-violent uh, moments in our past. Boycott, as you say, was born in Ireland in the 1800s, 1880s. Um, it was uh, Charles, Captain Charles Boycott, was a British landlord, an absentee landlord. Um, and um, exorbitant rates and uh, all the locals uh, revolted against them and just stopped buying from them and stopped paying them and that, that was the, the, the birth of boycotting. Um, and it's a, it's a little celebrated thing in Ireland that nobody even, it, like, you're taught it in secondary school but it's not a thing of pride that we have one of the most successful non-violent direct actions currently used in the world. Um, instead, as with most countries, we romanticise the fallen dead and the, the rising of 1916 or the rising of 19, uh, 1798, um, when the reality is our independence was won at the table, uh, talking at the table over in Westminster in London. Um, And these types of important moments of peace, you know, really need to be spoken about more and uh, appreciated more than they really are, not just in Ireland, but around the world.
0: Well, the the piece may have been won around the table, but I've seen even even current books. I picked up a book called Fatal Path by Ronan Fanning that uh, argues that it was all about the, the threat of terrorism. Without the threat of terrorism and engagement in terrorism, Ireland would never have uh, won anything.
1: Uh, oh, no, absolutely not. Um, we... Um through the like the long history, through all the various different centuries, any rebellions we had were crushed within days. They they never had any success. Um, the when we really started to gain traction, um, uh, in fact, Carol Marx wrote a very interesting paper on this. Um, was not far or not long after the famine in the eighteen forties. And it really brought home to the Irish people the their uh, the, the position they had within the, the British Empire, and um, um, and from that was born the Land League, where they were looking for the three Fs. Was that fair rent? Uh, I, I can't remember all three of them now. And um, and that was when the people of all of Ireland actually really bought into it. All the other rebellions, 1798, it was the aristocrats, 1916, again, the upper class. Um, the land league um, and the boycott, and that was of the people, that was grassroots, and that was much harder for them to stop. And that was where it really began to gather, um, home rule really began to gather traction. And that built and built. We then had a rebellion in 1916, which was crushed in days. Um, and a few years after that, we won our independence over in London in 1921, although it was offered to us with the country being divided. So we then, of course, had little to see would we accept this treaty of a divided Ireland or not a divided Ireland, um, and the uh, political parties that would not accept the treaty, of course, when they won the war, accepted the treaty. And so we, we have our divided Ireland still, Indeed, um, uh, in Northern Ireland, then has a much more complicated history. Um, you know, there were that was full on. You know, Catholics weren't allowed to uh, own property, vote. There was charity There was second class citizenship. Um, and while. Uh, There would be split division or split opinions on whether the IRA were right to, you know, take violent actions. The reality is once that sort of stuff starts, it's just tit for tat It goes over and back. You know, my uncle died, so I'm going killing somebody. And it goes over and back uh, in an endless cycle. Uh, And it just never breaks until the sides actually sit down together and begin real reconciliation with real commitment and courageous leaders. Um, and you know, it's it, it, real reconciliation. There's a lot of work in it, and Northern Ireland is in a much better place now than it was in the past. Um, um, and there's there's still work to be to be done, but it, Ireland has certainly um, it has made massive steps forward, at least within it with its own violent um, its own violent nature.
0: And, and how did? peace finally come about after years and years of ongoing violence. Uh, This is something that that Reid McGuire, who's on our advisory board, uh, was a part of.
1: Yeah, exactly, yes. Um, People got sick of it, um, you know, because there's just no way out. I think that was a large part of it, just the, the general population, um got sick of bombs in shopping centres and cars being blown up and civilians dying and uh, the public turned on them. Um, and John Hume and Mairead Maguire and a number of other, you know, very strong, uh, brave people in Northern Ireland, uh, very vocal people, um, uh, they they led the way and, and the people got in behind them. Um, until the IRA started calling ceasefires. They were broken a few times the first few years. Um, and then uh, Bill Clinton got involved um, and they sent over some uh, American um, politicians to help us negotiate between the different parties in the North and they had the, the uh, Good Friday Agreement, um, which Hold uh, to this day, um, but it, it, it took, you know, a lot of commitment from a lot of different people, and it, it took for the public to want it to happen, you know, to want the violence to stop.
0: Yeah. It, it almost seems like a model for the world or for the war-making nations of the world that keep trying war, war, war as a means to peace uh, or supposedly a means to peace for a for hundred years since the war to end all wars. Uh, and, uh, and we in Ireland uh, gave up on, on violence and tried peace as a way to get to peace. Uh, it seemed to work much more quickly
1: that yeah 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 and um, yeah and that's the, the the actual truth of it like if you want violence to stop like the only way to do it is to stop fighting and to sit down and start talking and and start the real conciliation and appreciation of the feelings on all the different sides and the hurt on all the different sides and um, and to be empathetic and to reconnect as a community we are just one community so it's quite a small island yeah um so it, um, it, it takes that type of honesty to, 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 to say, look, what, we just don't want this anymore. And the vast, like the vast, vast, vast majority of Ireland do not want a return of the violence at all. And,
0: and so what happens now with Brexit and Northern Ireland leaving the EU, but Ireland not leaving the EU?
1: Um, That is a mighty fine question, David. Um, There are continuous talks going on at the moment between the Irish Prime Minister and uh, the British government, the Irish Prime Minister and the European Union. Uh, The British government don't really appear to have any sort of a plan, Um, so uh, it's difficult to say what's going to happen. There's certainly murmurings of uh, a united Ireland again, um, emanating both from the North and uh, from the Republic. Uh, what's actually going to happen uh, is very difficult to say. Will there be a hard border again with troops back and checking cars and buses like it used to be when I was growing up? Or um, it's, it's very, very difficult. Because there are so many options out there and there seems to be very little clarity of where anybody's going.
0: Indeed. Uh, we're speaking with Barry Sweeney, who's a member of the Coordinating Committee of World Beyond War and based uh, part of the time in Ireland. Uh, Bari, Ireland is supposed to be neutral in, in terms of other countries' wars, uh, yet has U.S. troops using Irish airports uh, in apparent violation of that neutrality. Is that... Is that still a problem? Is it a problem with the with Ireland being part of the European Union, or does that make it okay? What's the situation?
1: Um, well, the situation is since the um, war in Iraq started in 2003, over 3 million uh, American battle troops have gone through Shannon Airport, uh, which is a civilian airport Um It doesn't have reinforced uh, runways. It doesn't have reinforced uh, hangars. It has a big glass front. Uh, It's not designed for taking military planes, carrying munitions and bombs and things like that. You know, uh, accidents happen, planes crash, things explode. Uh, It's very dangerous to the civilians uh, who use that airport. And it's it's, uh, absolutely reckless behavior by our government. Um there have been, we have there's Shannon Watch is the name of the local activist group there who keep a very close eye on what planes come in and out. And literally every day they're at that airport taking pictures. They then track the planes, they get the numbers, they see where they go to. Last week there were a number that came from Tel Aviv, went straight to, through Shannon to Washington, Loaded up whatever they're load, loading up and came back the same roof, Stopped off in Shannon again and went back to Tel Aviv. What they're carrying, we don't know because the government doesn't let anybody actually search the airplane. There have been planes that have gone from Shannon to Guantanamo. You know, so whether they're whether they are involved in renditions, we don't exactly know because again, we're not allowed on the planes. Anybody who has tried to search the plane has immediately found themselves behind bars. Um. And our yeah, our stance on neutrality. Well, it has changed and morphed um, many, many times. Like it first really kind of came on the scene in 1798, a long, long time ago. Oh, no, it's not 1798. yeah uh, 1786, um, when there was an incident over in India um, where uh, two Spanish um, boats commandeered two British boats. And the British wanted to, to start a Spanish War, a war with Spain. Um, and Wolfstone, who would have been a very prominent aristocrat in Ireland at the time, wrote a preemptive, uh, made a preemptive speech to the government along the lines of questioning or uh, asking, you know, do, do do we, do Ireland really want to be used for Britain's gain? You know, we gain nothing by a war between uh, Britain and France over in India. And uh, he called for neutrality and it's, that continued until we did break free from Britain in 1921. Um, and that was sort of the, the mentality of our neutrality at the time. We'll do the exact opposite of whatever England's doing.
0: <laughs>
1: so our, our neutrality might have been born out of uh, not wanting, just not wanting to do what they did. However, it's developed over the years. And in fact, it's a, it's a point of pride um, to Irish people that were neutral um and that we understand the violence and that we know that we have a place in the world and that we can help with reconciliations. There's a lot of people who have experienced this type of stuff now in Ireland. Um, and neutrality really is the real source of pride for a lot of Irish people. In all of the polls that are ever done, it comes in as about 80% of the Irish public wants to be neutral and does not want to be involved in foreign conquest
0: or foreign entanglement. And do they mean by that, Uh, that there should not be U.S. troops going through Shannon Airport? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, uh, Even the the, the most recent poll, uh, last year, I think, came in at 70% said Shannon Airport should not be used by not just uh, U.S., but the U.S. is the the, uh, primary user. But some NATO nations also use Shannon Airport, but, you know, it's 98% American flight, uh, 2% NATO.
0: Yeah it seems like there are nations that that are supposedly neutral like sweden for example that go even farther and uh, allow nato war rehearsal exercises and so forth uh, and there are others uh, like switzerland that you hear about all the time as being I mean, famously and and I, as far as i know actually neutral uh, how i mean are, is there is there any Legal understanding or a practical alliance among neutral nations? How do you, how do you enforce uh, neutrality? Reason,
1: indeed, yes. In fact, I got a conference in Ireland this year where the theme of the day was uh, looking at the rule of law uh, and legalities with regards to Ireland and its neutrality, the European Union, the Kellogg Brian Pact, and a variety of other things. And one of the speakers of the day, Karen Devine, who is a lecturer in Dublin City University, uh, gave a very detailed uh, presentation on the European Union and the militaristic um, overtones of its uh, constitution, or some of some of the clauses within it. Uh, I can read you here just from this is from 1992, um, and this is about uh, the question of neutrality. And a quote here: now, it says the question of neutrality." and compatibility with common foreign and security policy is, however, a particular concern. Um, and it goes on to say... Um, uh, let me see here. Uh, it, it goes on to say that neutrality is not compatible with the European Union. And slowly and surely, as the, the, the Lisbon Treaty had... Um, was to enable true... Co- Uh, we had a referendum for that in Ireland uh, to which we said no Um, and Europe was shocked and our government was embarrassed because they had uh, both the the big uh, parties in Ireland had both been campaigning uh, yes vote Um, and the public said no so we did it again no again um, and they repackaged it again a third time and we said yes the third time um and this ties us into a mutual defense clause a solidarity clause so if one of the other european nations is attacked uh, we are uh, obliged to um to collective defense and to to stand by our uh, uh co-members of the european union so the, the the reality is neutrality is actually dead and buried, um, especially since we signed to Pesco uh, signed, signed up to Pesco this year. That's the permanent structured um, cooperation. There's nothing about military. There's nothing about an army, but that it, it's 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 a standing army for Europe. Uh, we have signed up to that, um, and we will be sending troops to that army, and um, so. Uh, I'm afraid Ireland and its neutrality has been whittled away bit by bit um, over the, the last number of decades, the last four decades or so.
0: It seems the president of France, when the president of the United States was there on Armistice Day, was talking about a European military that could stand up to not just Russia, but the United States. Uh, Is there there a possibility, for better or worse, uh, I'm not sure which it would be on balance, uh, of this European militarism actually working uh, against uh, the, the the Irish permission for the United States to use its airports,
1: I don't know exactly how this will work out. Uh, it certainly looks like there will be a European army. Uh, who they'll work with or against uh, would remain to be seen. And um, I, I personally would be for a restructuring of uh, global politics, but not uh, a re- retreating into. Uh, the, of violence, Um, like the United Nations, I'd prefer to to, to rest on law. I think the United Nations does need to be reformed, um, like it's very undemocratic. Um, Yeah, like China, um, which would have uh, well over a billion people, or India less, but again around a billion people. Uh, they would only get one vote each with the United Nations, the same as Andorra and Liechtenstein. Um, you know, so in theory, those two little countries can outvote China, which is doesn't take into the uh, into account the demograph demographic of the planet. Um, And it it leads to instability because you have countries who aren't getting the say that they should.
0: It seems that regardless of which way the European Union goes, it's going to be possible for the people of Ireland, if they get organized enough and active enough, and if the rest of the world helps, to break off the military relationship with the United States and even break off the military relationship with, with NATO and the European Union.
2: That's a very pertinent question, David. Um, The French president, as you say, has called for the European army. um, So even more militarism in the world. Like from my point of view, um, understanding that, you know, violence is only tit for tat. um, There is no way that's a positive move that can only lead to more violence. Uh, And from my point of view, uh, the only less is the only way forward. Uh, I'd be a believer in closing foreign bases Um, and one step along the way, uh, that'll be a long process, but one step along the way could be transforming bases from um, attack oriented bases with long range missiles um, and weapons of that nature to defensive um, weapons, you know, so like America has 50 uh, military bases in Italy. If all of the weapons in those bases were reduced to defensive weapons, short-range weapons, so that they could only defend Italy, like they say, that's what they're there for, um, that, is a, that would be a positive step, as opposed to being offensive bases who could start a war in Libya, like they just did. They have, they have bases in Sicily, they were used for Libya. So, uh, President Macron asking for um, <laughs> the development of a European army which isn't new news, but it's now the, the curtain has been pulled back. Um, it's crazy talk, and it can only lead us to dark, dark places. And in fact, on that point, um, like w- in Ireland, um, as I said at the start, um, Shannon Airport, a c- civilian airport, is used by the American military and NATO military, but 95% the American military, that's a civilian airport. It's not an actual base. That should be a base. <laughs> it's a de facto base. It should be, we should be able to stop access to that civilian airport by mil- the use of militaries, whether it be American or any other. And in fact, we have, as you know yourself, a uh, petition going w- with World Beyond War. It's to get the US military out of Shannon Airport, which has already has almost 10,000 um, signatures, um, which we're still gathering, and it would be great if people are interested, if they went to our website, that's worldbeyondwar.org slash Ireland, and that will bring you to the petition to stop the use of Shannon Airport for military purposes. And there was also the uh, recent uh, conference in Dublin um, on the weekend of the 16th, 17th of November, um, the first international conference on the closure of bases where there were representatives from all over the world, uh, from America, from Japan, from all over Europe, uh, it was very successful. Um, and so there is a lot of movement by people um, to move forward with this and to try and demilitarise the world. And if people are interested in in getting involved, not just in no basis, but in in anti-war, pro-peace type of activities. You know, everybody has different capabilities. Everybody has different uh, restrictions, time availabilities, energy, you know. So, like, if people are interested in doing this, some people, look, some people can't do any more than be an armchair activist. And that's fine, you know. People can donate. We ourselves have um, lots of peace merchandise, um, T-shirts and cups and telephone covers, um, which, um, you know, if if, if people have no time and all, but they'd like to contribute in some way, uh, you know, that's a nice, easy way for them to do it. Again, they can go to uh, worldbeyondwar.org, and just do a, a quick search for. Uh, in fact, it's 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 on the home page the the, the, um, the merchandise for sale, or maybe like the home page on Facebook and do some social media sharing. Whether it be Twitter, uh, whether it be on Facebook. Or if people have a few hours to to to, to give, it, it might they might consider contacting the group that suits them best for the thing they're most interested in. Maybe it's the um, the uh, the movement against nuclear weapons. Maybe it's ours, where we have a nice clear objective: it's the abolition of all wars. So people should inform themselves a little bit um, and think what they have to offer and and see where they can fit in. Um, there are positive developments in Ireland at the moment. Um, there has been a recently formed government group um, that's dealing with uh, neutrality and disarmament. Um, and that, is, that has 50 current um, uh, politicians in Ireland are in that group. Um, and that's about a third of the Irish government. The Irish government has, uh, I think it's 153 politicians. So quite a sizable chunk of the current Irish politicians have formed their own group to uh, not deal with, but to investigate uh, the question of our neutrality and our complicity in uh, foreign wars and everything that's going on in the world at the moment.
1: Um
2: uh, there's also There are many conferences going on in Ireland. Last week in Galway, Luke Min Flanagan, who is a current member of European Parliament, um, held a conference in, in, in Galway City, I believe, um, looking at Irish neutrality. Uh, then there was the No Basis Conference in Dublin. Earlier this year, I organized the conference in Clock Jordan, um, where we looked at the rule of law and its actual uses its potential uses ireland's uh, militaristic neutrality friendly neutrality all the the very uh, in detail with a great look at uh, law last year i organized a different conference where we looked at the shared edge between war and ecological destruction i will be organizing another one for next year it'll be in clock jordan again Um, The theme hasn't been decided yet, but if people go to Facebook and go to World Beyond War Irish chapter, they can stay up to date and be informed on things that are happening. Um, uh, So, look, uh, thank you very much, David, for asking me on today. It was really a pleasure, and um, I hope that your listeners got something from our conversation.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Peace is the way. Until next time.